Well, good morning, City Light. Good morning. Hey, if you're a parent with kids right now, this is the time to send your kids downstairs. And we have Cole right here, one of our servant leader of ours, that will take you. Hey, welcome to year two of our church. Isn't that crazy? Year two, year two. Uh, as any of y'all don't know, my name is John. I really had the pleasure of serving one of the pastors for this church this past year. And today we'll be in 2 Timothy 2, uh, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. I just want to remind y'all, like, it's a special moment. It's a special moment to know that the God who created heaven and earth, the one who is in this to come, has a word for you and I this morning. Like, God has a word. Like, God has a word that one day out of the week, God speaks to you and me at the same time through his word. And I just want to give you what's a picture of what's going on today. Later on, earlier, later this morning, Nate's going to teach a word at Veritas City Church. Taylor Antone is preaching at his uh, Air Force Base. Downstairs at 1030 o'clock in the morning, uh, the first Laos service is going to start. And then at 11 o'clock... Later on, Pastor Luis is going to preach the word in Spanish. Like, God, the word of God is at work today. Like, praise God through city life. That's an amazing thing. And we're a part of that. I was reading Nehemiah the other day, the other day and it says, the, the joy of Jerusalem is heard from far away. Oh, man. I want that this morning, that the joy of this church would be heard from miles away through his word. Ah, I just can't wait. So today, God wants to tell you and I to be equipped. That's it. Be equipped. Like, how can you and I be equipped? So I'm going to be a dad in a few months. Dad to a baby boy. Uh, December 30th is his due date. December 30th. And people always ask me, like, John, are you ready? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it also doesn't help when I see a child or hear a child crying around me. There's always at least one person who always says, John, you're next. You're next. <laughs> this does not help. Now, it also doesn't help that the more I read stuff about parenthood, the things that you need to buy, the things you need to get ready, the things you need to do, the more, the more I hear about fatherhood, and let alone raising a baby boy, the more overwhelmed I truly feel. And the less equipped I feel, there's just so much good information to go on. So much to know, so much to absorb to the point where sometimes in my own head, I've overcomplicated things. I really have. And I think, I truly believe it's the same for our Christian lives. Just walk with me here. Look at this. Like, these are some of the questions we ask ourselves. How, how can I disciple better? Like, how can I raise my children to love Jesus? Those are good things. How can I be a better leader and serve in the church? Like, how can I be a light in my workplace? Like, how do I people, how do I deal with people who criticize me? Like, how do I deal with people who hurt me? How do I deal with anxiety? How do I deal with all these things? And the list goes on and on and on to the point where you have paralyzed yourself to following Jesus. But what God wants for you and I this morning is to simplify everything. He just wants you and I to simplify our framework on how to be equipped. In all your responsibilities and passions to serve him, God wants you and I to have two, to be reminded of two foundational ways of how you and I can be equipped. Just two ways. Two foundational, grounding, driving principles that will ignite, I pray, will ignite 
us into further love and good works. That's what I want today. God, that's what God wants for you and I today. Just two simple reasons, simple ways of how you and I can be equipped. Are we ready for that? Amen. Can we pray? Lord, we just want to seek your face today. Lord, let this next few minutes be an act of worship. Lord, as we preach, Lord, may we just see your face more. Lord, may your word continue to sink into our hearts. Lord, may your word change us. Lord, may your word alone complete us, God. Lord, we cannot, we can, no, we can do no good thing apart from you. So we need your supernatural work at work right now. We love you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. Will you read with me? You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured yet. From them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a guided life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people, imposters, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing that from whom you learned it, and how from child you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is God's word. So one, one reason. One, one way, how can we be equipped? Right here. Look to godly examples. Like, look to godly examples. Examples, And you see that right here in verse 10. It says, you, Timothy, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. I just want to give, I just want to give you a perspective from Timothy. Timothy right now is going through false doctrine. He's trying to lead a church through all that's going on. And the dude is overwhelmed. There's many things to do. How to do this, how to do this, how do I handle this person, this person. And but Paul is saying, you, follow me. Follow my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfast. And what I love here is Paul could have stopped the teaching. He could have just said, Timothy, just remember all that I have said to you. He didn't. He didn't. And Paul mentioned his conduct, his aim in life, faith, patience, love, and steadfastness. And Paul highlighted how he lived in his purpose in life. And this is crucial right here, that a godly example is measured by what you teach, how you live and your purpose in life. That a godly example is measured by what you teach, how you live, and your purpose in life. That a godly example is not, is not just about content, but of character. And this is not the first time Paul has said something like this. 1 Corinthians 1.11, he says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Philippians 4.9, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And what's more interesting, when you go on, if you read verse 11 to me, it says, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, 
at Iconium and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from all the Lord, from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Background here, at Lystra, at Lystra, Acts 14 shows us that Paul was stoned and dragged out of the city. And then two chapters later, we find out that Timothy, Timothy was from Lystra. Timothy's from Lystra. So he not only heard how Paul suffered, he's seen how Paul suffered. And, the man, and Timothy was around 15 years old when this happened. 15 years old. One commentator said that witnessing such ferocious persecutions at a young age could have made a considerable impact on Timothy. So Paul is telling Timothy right now, Timothy, in all your hardships you're going through, in all the hardships that you're going through, remember mine. Like, remember what I went through. Remember how I handled it. Remember that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will experience hardship. Timothy, you're on the right track. And I, I truly believe that this is true for some of y'all today. In all the hardships you're going through right now, God's saying you're on the right track. Look to me. Look to godly examples as you pursue me. And you and I are also reminded that 2,000 years ago, there was a group of people who followed the life of Jesus for three years. They saw him walk on water. They saw him feed the 5,000. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him heal the blind and raise the dead. They saw, they saw Jesus wash their own feet. They saw him take the longer route to Galilee to meet the woman of Samaria. They saw him meet people at their lowest point. They saw him weep. Saw him weep. They saw him withdraw from a crowd ready to hail him as king so that he can pray instead. They saw his love for children. They saw him humble himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And they saw him as the risen king, holy, majestic, glorious, beautiful. These disciples have caught Jesus' aim in life. So we look to godly examples. A godly example is measured by what you teach, how you live, and your purpose in life. It is not just about content and character. So in light of all this, you and I just need to constantly ask ourselves these questions. Like, am I following godly examples? Am I following godly examples? This is the one reason why we have lighthouses, trainings on Thursday nights, and other ministries to surround you with godly examples in your life. We truly believe this. Next question is, am, am I being a godly example? Am I being a godly example? Is my teaching, conduct, and purpose in life worth following? Is my teaching, conduct, and purpose in life worth even following? And lastly, am I forming a godly example? Am I forming a godly example? Like, it's the life of Christ in me in a Galatians 2.20 way. The life of Christ in me resulting into the life of Christ in others. As some of you all know, I spent uh, the first 14 years of my life living in the Philippines. Um, uh, you know, lived in a nice, probably like, what, six, 700 square feet apartment with three sisters, two sisters. So I was the only boy, so please pray for me. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I grew, I grew up with just great parents. I really did. I always, had to, I always had to face the wall a lot. Like, I had a lot of, uh, a lot of that. Just go face the wall. Think about what you did. Uh, especially, I remember this one morning, uh, this one afternoon, Saturday afternoon. I was probably like around six or seven years old. And 
Uh, it was raining outside, and my parents, my mom told me, Sean, it's, we're all going to take a nap, okay? We're all going to take a nap. Go to, your, go to your bedroom, go to the couch. I don't really have a bedroom there. Go to your couch and just go try to take a nap. Well, I didn't. I was seven years old. Like, I, I wanted to play, so I went outside, like all kids did, and I uh, played under the rain with uh, just one of my childhood neighbors. And we did it for, like, what, an hour or so? And it was, it was a good time. It was a good time. And I heard my mom just scream my name from afar. Like, John! And I just remember the look on my friend. His name's Omar. I'm like, John. Good luck. Good luck. And let's just say I got more than face of the wall that day. Let's just say I got more than face of the wall that day, that day. And I was still crying. You know, it was a hard, it was, oof, that was, that was a tough day. And I was still crying. And I still remember that day, later that night, my mom and my dad just looked at me in the eye and said, John, like, we may not have a lot to give you. Like, we don't have an inheritance or anything to help you in the future. Like, we're not going to be able to pay for your college. You don't have a nice house to give you. Can't pay for your car. But the only inheritance we have for you is how we are raising you. Now, six, seven years old, I was deep down, oh, it's about to be a hard life. Lord, take me now. This is the cross I have to carry? And I, uh, that stuck to me. I may not remember all the lectures they, they've given me, but I remember how they loved each other. I remembered how my parents laughed and enjoyed each other's presence, like through the ups and downs of life. I remember how they worked so hard to put food on the table. I remember how content they were of just having enough. Like, I remember how they just managed being apart for a year because my mom had to work overseas. I remember all those things. I remember how patient they were towards me. I remembered how much they sacrificed so much. And I still pray for them to this day that they truly would know the love of Jesus Christ. I still pray for them. Yet, City Life, I just want you to know that for those of you who are in Christ Jesus in a much deeper, powerful, and glorious way, your teaching, your conduct, your aim in life, your faith, your patience, your love, your steadfastness, and your hardships will speak volumes to the next generation of disciples and makers starting here today. Today. Like, your life is like a silent sermon that everyone can read. So let's continue to be a church who looks to godly examples as we look to Jesus Christ, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Can we say amen to that? Golly. That's only one point. Golly. So look, look to godly examples. And last but not least, let the Word do the work. How can you and I be equipped? Let the word do the work. Let the word do the work. This means trusting the word more than your technique. This means trusting the word more than systems and structures. This means trusting the word more than your experience. This means trusting the word more than your knowledge, talents, and skills. This means trusting the word to do the work in people's lives. And there's three reasons why we ought to let the word do the work. First, the word revives. 
Just let that sink in. The word revives, and you see that in verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. In some Bibles, instead of breathed out by God, it says inspired, meaning the Bible that you and I have today is God's very own words. But this phrase, breathed out by God, I just love because it signifies life, you know? Like God breathing in life. Like when I read the Bible, it's God breathing life. Like it signifies, like the word revives. You know, Genesis 2, it says God breathed in life into Adam and Eve. Genesis 1, 3, it says God said, let there be light. The creation of this world started with God's word. Life began at the sound of God's word. Ezekiel 37, just picture a valley of dry bones. Just picture that right now. Valley of dry bones, and God told Ezekiel, Ezekiel, preach, use my word, and talk over these bones. You know what happened? It says, so Ezekiel did that, and this is what happened. There was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. The word revives. John 11, Lazarus had been dead for four days, but Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus, at my word, come out. And the man who had died came out. God's word revives. This word revives. Like, let the word do the work. You hear about CPR. You hear about, you know, resuscitations, reviving someone's life. You know, my wife's an ICU nurse, so she gave me, she wrote down how, how a CPR can be achieved. I want you all to listen closely, okay? In CPR world, medical world, to revive a person in the medical world, it takes someone else to break the parent's ribs, the patient's ribs, and to compress the chest at least a hundred times a minute for two inches deep nonstop in order to pump blood to the vital organs. Meanwhile, establishing an artificial airway and ventilating in order to give oxygen to the blood and inject several different fluids and medications into the person's bloodstream to stimulate any electri electrical activity of the heart. But how does God revive someone? He speaks. God speaks. God speaks to bring your soul from spiritual death to spiritual life. New life starts, starts at the sound of his word. God is the word made flesh who dwelt among us in Christ Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died for the death that you and I deserve, and three days later rose again to defeat death. And whosoever confesses his sins, believes in him, and surrenders his life to him, you will be saved. For those of you who don't know Christ right now, God is speaking to you at this moment. God is speaking to you at this moment. Eternity is at hand. Confess your sins and believe in him, that Jesus Christ is Lord and your Savior. God's word revives. So we let the word do the work for God's word revives. The word is like the Grand Canyon, and we invite people to say, hey, come and see. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Like, the word is like a nice gourmet meal, and we're the waiter serving it, and we're saying, hey, here, here you go. Taste and see the goodness of God. And the word is like a new set of clothes, and we ask people, do you want more life? Like, do you want new life? Here, put on Christ Jesus. Let the word do the word. So I ask you, I just simply ask you, are you convinced of the power of God's word? 
Like, are you convinced of the power of his word? It's one thing to know, but a whole different story to be convinced of it. And this is why I love the prayer and fasting day that we're going to do next Saturday. Saturday here from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. It's all day. It's not only possible to seek God's face, the whole day will saturate you with God's word. You know, we're reading from Psalm 1 to Psalm 72 all day and singing in accordance today to saturate you with the power of his word. So are you convinced of the power of God's word? Like sometimes we just need to let the weight of God's word affect the hearts of people. We truly do. Sometimes you just don't know what to do and sometimes you just need to trust the power of his word. Sometimes we just need to trust the word truly changes lives. So we let the word do the work for it revives. And next reason to let the word do the work is this one. The word makes you wise. The word makes you wise. All right, so you let the word do the work for it revives and makes you wise. And you see this in verse 16. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So I love this. I've been here for a year now. Um, I speak the Gallic, speak English. Uh, I've been really convicted just during this year of if I truly care about reaching this community, I needed to learn Spanish. There's just no way around it. If I, if I, want, if I want to talk to someone, if I want to see him or her see Jesus Christ, I needed to learn Spanish. There's just no way around it. It's not the church service, not the systems. I needed to be where they were. So obviously I can't learn Spanish in the year, but I just, you know what, John, let, like, let's just learn, let's just learn sharing the gospel in Spanish. So that's what I try to do. I try to memorize Romans 5, 8, and you know, you, you, do, you, do, you do simple things, right? Jesus Christ died for your sins. So I like, Jesus Christ is Jesucristo. Uh, the word die is murio, you know, and two is you, obviously, and the word sin is pecado. Now, I did take for of y'all though, I did take high school in Spanish and in, uh, college Spanish courses, and I remember that the word uh, pescado is fish. Okay, so pescado is sin, pescado is fish. All right, I got that. We'll be all right. I'll, I'll have to figure it out. So you know, I was trying to memorize that. It's in my mind, it's in my heart, and I think it's in one of the deliveries. I went to one of the deliveries or some of the community events, and I met a guy. And I did Pastor Louise tip for me. John, just say hola and have a big smile. That's what I did. Hola. <laughs> That's all I did. That's all I did. Como esta? Muy bien. I had no, had nothing else after that. And after like, you know, like five seconds of awkward silence deep down, I just told him, like, this is my moment. <laughs> like, this is my moment. I am not afraid of the gospel. I'm going to be bold. I'm going to share the word in Spanish. I'm going to share the gospel in Spanish. So I just looked him in the eye and said, mi amigo, Jesucristo murió para tu pescado. <laughs> oh, if y'all know, I said, Jesus Christ died for your fish. Para tu pescado, para mi pescado. Like your, your sins, your fish, my fish, you and I are all fishes. Like Jesus Christ died for that. Like, <laughs> He clearly did not get saved that day. Uh, 
I really tried. Hey, the Lord's pleased, guys. It's not by the results, but it's by the heart. You know, I was just trying to do that. Yay. I tried. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, he was very gracious, very gracious to me, towards me. He, he, he knew I was trying. Uh, that's one thing with Latino culture, man. They're like, they're just so nice people. Like, they'll take your mistakes and all that. It's great. And so I say this all just to remind you how a simple detail can harm the purity of the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Like a misuse of scripture or a word, even in a small way, have led people astray. Like a simple word or principle in scripture have completely been abused that led to false theologies. That's what Paul talked about in verse 13. It says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Look at verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. But as for you, city light, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. Do not be swayed by novel doctrines. Continue to dwell and stand firm in the time-tested, rock-solid, faith-driven purity of the gospel. The word makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So let the word do the work. And last but not least, the word trains. The word trains. Verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's so much here, but here's one thing to remember. You can only minister to people what you have ministered in your own heart. You can only minister to people what you have ministered in your own heart. You can't give what you don't have. You just can't. You can't give what you don't have, which is why having the word training you is essential in being equipped. I love my, li- I love my wife, but one thing that caused conflict in our marriage so far is the different driving styles. You know, as everyone knows, Northern Virginia is not a place for slow drivers. And the left lane is also for passing only. Left lane is only for passing only. And these are the two things my wife has been trying to teach me. Hey, I grew up in the Philippines. Okay, I didn't know. Didn't grow up with a car. But through trial and error, I've learned to receive like this, like nudges and warning from her. You know, if I'm speeding, if I'm too slow, babe, pick it up a little bit. Okay, all right, got you, got you. You know, if I'm on the left lane, babe, go back in the right lane. Okay, got you, got you. Not looking road. Sometimes she just warns me, like, babe, road, please. There's a sign. Okay, okay, great. And in some ways, this is how the Lord works. Sometimes in nudges and in different warnings. I want to give you an example. So when, when you're tired, like when you're tired, God says, come all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. When your life gets complacently slow, God says, yo, hey, press on towards the prize of my upward call that is in Christ Jesus. When pride keeps, creeps in, God asks, have you an arm like mine? Like, can you thunder with a voice like mine? Like, when you seem like giving up, God says, count it all joy when you meet trials of any kind. And when you feel far from God, he, he says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. When you feel insufficient, God says, I have made you sufficient to be a minister of a new 
covenant. When you're afraid, God says, fear not, I will be with you. And if you don't know what to do, God says, wait on me. Wait on me. And when you lack joy, when you lack joy and happiness, God says, rejoice in me. In my presence, there is fullness of joy. At my right hands are pleasures of evermore. Drink from the fountain of my delight. My joy is the strength of your heart. And when you feel unloved, God says that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor height, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor anything else will be able to separate you from my love for you. Let the word do the work for it trains. May we be a church. May we be a church that looks through God's example and lets the word do the work. We pray. Oh God, we praise you. Lord, we just simply want to ask that your word would sink into our hearts this morning. Lord, relieve and ignite us to further love and good works by truly looking to the godly examples that you have given in our lives and that the power of this word, God, help us to be convinced of it. Lord, help us to truly believe in it. Lord, we just want to praise you again. Praise you, and we love you, that your word is better than life, that your steadfast love is better than life. God, we see your face as we read your word. Lord, we thank you. Help us to continue to be lights of this world through the power of your word. Help us to trust you more. Lord, we, can know, we cannot do anything good apart from you. God, help us. We are so desperate for you. We need you today and forever. As we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So in these next couple of songs, we have the Lord's Supper. And take that on your own time. Again, to remember that Jesus Christ died the death that you and I deserved. And you remember what this represents. If you, if, you, if you are not in Christ, then I uh, would, inv- uh, would ask you not to take it. More importantly, I want to ask you to receive Christ first. Okay. Can you stand up and sing this, these next two songs? <laughs>